Hello, college football fans. Welcome to episode 107 of College Football Throwdown. I'm your host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined, as always, by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hello, Husker fans and college football fans. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, So we're happy to be here today to talk about a uh, Nebraska victory instead of a defeat, uh, as well as the big games from week one of college football. There were quite a few, as it turned out. Um, And uh, today you are coming to us from a different location than usual, aren't you, Dad? I am. I am coming from Washington, D.C. I've got a hotel room overlooking... uh, the uh, the mall, uh, the uh, National Mall and the Washington Monument, and uh, it's a uh, it's a beautiful uh, view. There we go. All right. So before we dive into the Fordham game for Nebraska, as well as the big games from Week One on the national stage, uh, we're going to crack a beverage, as is our tradition. And I have a Sapporo beer here again, the Japanese beer. Uh huh, uh, Japanese beer. Yes, and uh, you don't have one this week, Dad. So this is in your place here. Thank you. Ch- cheers. Enjoy. I have I have been enjoying some wonderful beverages here while we've been visiting the D.C. area to see your daughter or your sister, my daughter. Uh, uh, while we've been here and been really enjoying some of the museums and. You know, we just went to Mount Vernon today. It was a wonderful experience to take in the history of our great nation, especially given the fact that uh, this coming weekend, the, d- the day of uh, college football, this weekend is going to take on a, a special uh, feel for everyone as it will be the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Yeah, that reminded me. They kept, because uh, uh, this game was played on the Big Ten Network, and they kept advertising a special that was going to be about the tunnel walk uh, uh, that Nebraska did uh, like a week after 9-11. They, they, they just did that tonight, Alex. That that, that got uh, debuted th- this evening, uh, and I did watch it, or at least a good portion of it. And uh, it was good. I, I, don't know, I don't know that it was exceptional, you know, as far as how they produced and built around it. But it was, a, it was an amazing thing, as it just turned out, that uh, um, Nebraska's game, they played Rice. Um, uh, the week after uh, of the 9/11 attacks, and um, um, it was a it was the Thursday night game. So it was the traditional at that time traditional ESPN Thursday night game it was the only Thursday night game, and so it was the very first major sporting event after 9/11 that actually occurred, and so uh, that made it kind of special from that standpoint. That that uh, a lot of schools had decided to to postpone or not play their game that week, you know, like just cancel it or whatever. Um, and um, uh, I, I, it was not the immediate, because 9-11 was on a Tuesday, if I remember correctly. I don't know that anybody played that that immediate uh, Friday, Saturday that, that week. So it was the Thursday after that, right? So it would have been about maybe, whatever, eight days after 9-11 had happened when, when uh, Nebraska played Rice. And they did a special tunnel walk for it, which created a, a rousing kind of experience um, uh, for the fans that were in the stadium that day. Hmm. That is cool. Yeah, I might I might try to check that out because I thought that looked Yeah, cool. I'm sure they'll play it over and over again on BTN Network if you want to take a look-see at it. Yeah. 
Um, so uh, this week, Nebraska played against Fordham from the Patriot League. And on last week's podcast, we gave our predictions for how the game would go. I predicted that we would win 42-21, and you predicted 48-21. Uh, and in terms of score, and it ended up being better than either of us anticipated, 52-7. Uh, to um, It was one of those games where uh, the early part of the game was kind of ugly. You know, it wasn't, uh, we weren't looking as dominant as you, we would, you would want to when you have such a mismatched uh, talent levels between schools. Um, but we kind of got it together uh, in the second quarter and we really scored a lot of points and were able to get that comfortable cushion, play our second teamers later on in the second half and control things. Um, so, you know, not the best start, but it corrected itself later on. That was kind of my general impression. Right. The, I think the the key takeaways on a game like that is, number one, you know, Nebraska's in a no-win situation, right? You're playing a team that's uh, in a less from a lesser division. You're expected to dominate. You're expected to have a big score. So anything short of a dominant victory is is effectively a negative for you, right? And yet, if you have that dominant uh, score differential, um, then, oh, well, it's just Fordham, right? So you're not going to get any credit. So so this doesn't add anything, but it was awfully important to Nebraska in terms of them being able to get repetitions, right? Get a lot of a lot of kids who've been working really hard all during uh, fall camp and everything who haven't gotten a lot of snaps on the field yet for those guys to get their chances. And they played a lot of players, and, and, and they had 95 snaps. So the, the offense thanks to some defensive turnover conversions and things, the, the offense was able to have 95 offensive snaps, and that was huge, for I think, for Nebraska's development and, and for their confidence going forward. Still frustrating to me that we weren't able to come out from the very get-go and dominate. Uh, we really struggled to figure things out. Our offensive line is clearly not where we want it to be, and that's going to be a big deciding factor of how our team performed in, the, in these next four or five weeks. Well, you say that, uh, but, you know, once again, kind of once we adjusted a little bit to what they were doing, um, they were able to give uh, Adrian, you know, m- plenty of oh, time yeah. in terms of pass protection, you know, and we, we got, a, got, a, got a running game going. I think we averaged like a little over five yards uh, per rush in total. Um, so I would agree with you. The start was bad, but they got there eventually. Right. They, they did. They did figure some things out. But the question is, is that you're, you're playing against Fordham. You're, you know, they're giving up probably 20, 30, maybe even more pounds per man on along that offensive line. We should be able to line up and, and just individually decide that we're going to, you know, pound it down their throats. But we, we were not able to do that early. And then defensively, we chose to come out uh, an observation you made to me early in the game. Hey, we're coming out in a zone. And we played this very cushion um, zone defense uh, def- uh, in the backfield, which allowed them to kind of pick us apart a little bit early in the game. But it kept everything in front of us, didn't allow them to necessarily get a big play down the field or whatever. Uh, but why wouldn't we have just come out right away in a man? Well, I, I think the answer was is I think the coaches – wanted our players to experience that. They wanted to have that on film so that they could coach it. They wanted those guys to be in, in while the game was in doubt and the pressure was on for them to play uh, those different defensive set, setups. And as a result, 
you know, a great deal of learning took place during this game, both offensively and defensively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you also made the point that it kind of looked like with that zone uh, defense that we were playing, we were also kind of, you know, looking to pick routes and uh, try to get, you know, uh, bat balls down or get interceptions and things like that, uh, which we did. We got three interceptions over the course of the game. Now, at least one of those was just a really bad pass by their quarterback. Um, but I think right. the other two were more, you know, we can attribute to our uh, defense. Um, Correct. Yeah. So, and, and, and also to Fordham's credit, you know, for, uh, you know, wh- I think I asked you last week, like what, what are their weapons you're most scared of? And you didn't really have an answer. Um, but their quarterback has a real arm to him. Um, he kind of became less accurate as the game went on. He was missing more passes later, but in that first quarter and a half, you know, he was, he was throwing some nice balls and to guys that were, uh, you know, open in a couple of scenarios because of that zone defense we were playing. Right, exactly. And so they were having some success both passing and running. You know, they would have a couple of negative running plays, but then they'd have a good running play every now and then. And again, that's mostly just trying to twist us up and get us to make mistakes, right? And uh, But they were not often able to string things together and put together a lot of drives. Which was which was good for for me to see, um, but it's again not not a lot we can take from this, right. uh, other than that we got some good repetitions. This was a really effective, healthy, you know, one hundred percent go kind of practice for both our offense and our defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one point I did want to make was on special teams because it was kind of a mixed bag where we got a blocked field goal on uh, Fordham's kicker, which is obviously good, and then Connor Culp kicked at least one field goal. I know that was uh, good in the game, uh, but then also um, Cam Taylor Britt once again had a punting mistake or special teams mistake, I should say, where he uh, the ball was coming down. It was it was uh, a short punt, so he was running forward and it like hit him in the back, and he didn't realize it. And then Fordham dived on the ball and was able to you know pick up a bunch of extra yardage. Thankfully, the defense stopped him. Um, that might have been what what led to the blocked field goal. I'm not exactly sure. So it didn't result in anything no, you, damaging. You are but, correct. But regardless, yep. you know and. That was another mistake by Britt, and I saw he got replaced with somebody else after that. But even that guy, I remember, bobbled a punt, and it just went out of bounds. Um, right, yep. So also no harm, but but that's the sort of stuff you have to clean up because that's not going to happen against better teams. Right, exactly. Well, and the, the fact that we've got a ton of athletes who all you know were the punt returners for their teams back in high school, right? So the fact that we can't seem to find even one player who's capable of just getting out there and just catching a damn football and, and then, and then take a knee that the hell with doing a return, just secure the damn ball. Right. right. That would be a step in the right direction for us. Uh, and that's, uh, that's goes into a deeper discussion, which we can't necessarily go into in today's podcast, other than to say that I think we still have issues with our special teams instruction and our discipline and our commitment to it on a practice level because in games it's not translating into the kind of success that we want. And as far as Taylor Britt goes, you know, Cam's a guy that I think here he is, he's a captain. He's a guy that we're supposed to be relying on. And right now through two games, I feel like he's trying to do too much. He's trying to be all things to all people 
and do the right thing. He means well, I think, collectively. But I think he's uh, getting a little overwhelmed by the circumstance that he finds himself in. And some guys are meant to be a captain, you know, because they can handle being that leader and that visible kind of guy. And others, it's just better to just let them go out there and play. And I, I kind of wonder now if Cam's maybe a guy that is, uh, would have been better off never being a captain and just allow him to go out there and play and be himself and lead by example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, two minor things I wanted to comment on before we switch to the national discussion. Um, one was that we did have some uh, players stand out on the offensive side of the ball, which was good to see. Um, Torre on the passing side had eight receptions for 133 yards, was definitely Martinez's go-to guy. And then uh, Step had 18 rushes for 101 yards over the course of the game. Um, Step I had known about before, but uh, Torre was a little bit more unknown to me. Uh, doesn't seem to like be like a particularly big guy, but he's got good hands. Um, so I hope to see more from him in the future, you know, as kind of our, our wide receiver core starts to uh, break out more. Yeah, I, I felt like, again, that having 95 offensive snaps really is going to help that wide receiving core because it allowed us to have a lot of plays. And so, you know, not only Torrey, but but some other wide receivers, you know, were able to get multiple receptions and things of that nature, which is really, really going to be valuable down the road. I think we have a fairly talented group of wide receivers, but we need to get a consistency within them that we don't yet, we, we have not yet seen. Uh, where they are blocking the way they're supposed to be blocking, where they're going and running their routes crisply and quickly in the way that they're supposed to and with the timing that they're supposed to. Uh, And so I felt like I was starting to see a little bit of that. I'm going to be really curious, again, over the next four or five weeks to see how that evolves. Uh, Is this, uh, you know, effort against a a lesser team, um, you know, a, a... a, a mirage of, of what we really are when we're facing somebody of more comparable talent. You know, it's going to be hard to measure this against Oklahoma, say, in two weeks. But this week's game, I think, is super critical in that regard. You know, can we go out there and execute, you know, against a good, not great team in the Buffalo, uh, uh, you know, team? But um, we'll see. Yes, it definitely is going to be a will see situation. Um, yeah. And last moment that stood out to me, you might remember this. There was a play. I don't remember the down and distance, but um, Martinez was back to throw and they actually got some pressure on him. And so he uh, scrambled away from the pocket, but he didn't tuck it and run it. He kind of ran up to the line of scrimmage and found a guy that was open through to him and got the first down. Um, and the commentators were like, that was a really good play by Martinez. You know, this is some of the best I've seen him play, you know, in years or whatever. Um, and he was playing well, for sure. You know, it was good to see him building that confidence, um, even though he did overthrow a couple guys still. But, you know, you could his his overall consistency was pretty good. We were uh, 21 of 30 on passes over the course of the day. Uh, but that was one of those situations where I was kind of wondering, it worked out, the fact that he ran up to the line of scrimmage, threw the ball, got the first down, obviously, and that's a good result. Um, and it, I don't think it was a third down play. It might have been second or first. Um, but I was kind of wondering, just as a philosophical matter, is that a situation where rather than kind of trying to find the pass, a passer that's open, you know, to get the first down, you know, to make the, 
you know, kind of like we've talked about in the past, trying to make the best play in this scenario, it would have been better for Adrian just tuck it, run it, maybe get only five yards, but still get positive momentum out of the situation and not risk, you know, the the, the more risky pass play. What What's your kind of feeling on that? Okay, so you're asking for my opinion on that. So, okay, uh, in general, I would say I, I would agree with you that uh, it, it – you would want to make sure that you did the, the more conservative thing. However, it, it is influenced also by what's the situation in the game. You know, are you ahead? Are you ahead by a lot? Uh, are you in control of the game or is it a super tight game? Um, you know, uh, how much time is left in the game? Those kinds of things can play into that. Uh, because here's the deal. When you start scrambling like that and you're running and now you're throwing into the middle of the field like he was in that situation. Um, you know, when you throw across your body and, and that extends your throwing motion, that means there's more time for the defender to react and move in the direction of the throw. Um, and if that quarterback doesn't see somebody else because he's scrambling himself, and so he, his head comes up and, boy, that guy's wide open, then it, uh, the, oftentimes somebody can jump in front of a ball because you didn't see that uh, defender coming from the inside of the field or whatever, right? So a lot of negative things can happen, or you just have an inaccurate throw, and bad things happen as a result of that. So there's a lot of potential negatives when you have that last-minute kind of toss it. But in this case, there were two things that made it uh, uh, a reasonably good idea for him to do that. Number one was time and situation in the game. That, that particular moment happened when we had, I, I think, at least a 10, if not a 17-point lead. Number two, we were throwing somewhat in the middle of the field to our tight end. It was a throw to, to the tight end, who's a big target, and, uh, and he was throwing at a fairly short distance. It wasn't like it was a long, deep throw, if it's the one that I'm thinking of. And yeah. so all those things would make that uh, a, a positive reasons to go ahead and make, try to make that throw and make that play happen. Because, yes, he could have tucked it and ran, but he was only going to get a few yards. And I, I'm pretty sure it was a third down. Uh, and I think he needed to do that to get uh, a conversion and then continue the drive. So uh, for all those reasons, I think that was an example where it would have been a good idea for him to do it, and he did it, and he executed. Right. Uh, I, the- I think on it more, I think you're right. I think it was sometime in the second quarter when we were up, and I think we were on their side of the field. I think my thinking yes. was – okay, run it, get, you know, three, four yards and make it fourth and short. And we've already shown in the game that we'll go for on fourth and short and we can get it against this team, you know, so that plays into the strategy of the moment. No, I I totally get what you're saying. And and in many cases, I would say that's the better choice to make because I've seen the, the attempt by the quarterback to make it happen, to create that play where things go horribly bad. Right. So, um, yeah, that's there's a great risk in doing what he did. Uh, the only thing I would say is because it was a third down because of the circumstances of the game and the fact that uh, um, he was thrown to a big, big target in a tight end who's six foot nine in this case. Uh, that's not a bad thing to do. Yeah. OK. Now, maybe he's certainly not six, nine. He's about six, seven, six, eight. Right. Big guy. Nevertheless, he's a big, big target. Yeah. Yeah. All right. 
Cool. Well, now we're going to transition into the national side of our discussion. And before we talk about the games of week one, um, there's something interesting on the conference realignment side of things. Um, On a previous podcast, we talked about the state of the Big 12 and whether we thought the Big 12 would survive in the long term and all that. Uh, Well, clearly those at the Big 12 office have been doing work behind the scenes. And so now it's heavily rumored that they are going to extend invitations to four teams here coming up soon. And those four teams are UCF, Houston, BYU, and Cincinnati. So all teams that, uh, you know, have had uh, reasonable to great success in college football in the past few years in terms of their records and things like that, you know, kind of standing out within their individual leagues. Um, but my biggest question is, are do any of them in the money sense bring enough to still entice TV advertisers with the loss of uh, Oklahoma and Texas? I, my answer to that would be no on the money side. However, uh, if you think in the more short term here, uh, it does two things. If they're able to successfully get that group, then then as, as a conference, they have something to pitch to all the other teams that are still in the Big 12, the remnants, if you will, to say, hey, stick around. We can make this thing work. And it also, uh, uh, in terms of how the language was set up with with the their television partner who is ESPN, uh, it allows them to keep their current contract with ESPN and sustain it uh, at least through the end of that contract because they're back up to you know at least ten teams. Um, with the current situation where they're going to drop to eight uh, teams, that could have led to ESPN being able to nullify the contract, but they're not going to be able to do that now. So. Uh, uh, if they get these teams. So, right. Yeah. And that also plays into, I know we talked about, you know, if the big 12 were to collapse, then Oklahoma and Texas wouldn't have to pay these big buyout fees, you know, if they want to leave early, which everyone assumes that they do. Um, But, uh, but this seem seems to make it less likely that that's going to happen. Um, Exactly. So they're going to have to pay the big money. And then, and then that big money can be distributed among the eight current teams that are left, right? And and so they're gonna they're gonna be able to get a pretty nice payday for a couple of years, and then and then the other four teams are gonna come in, and there'll probably be some kind of financial commitment to join that in, and then they can come up with a Big Twelve network because now the two teams that probably were the ones that were resistant to having a a, a, a a conference network, which was Oklahoma and Texas, are gone because they didn't want to share, right? So now those two guys are gone. The ones that are all left, if they're willing to all agree, like the Big Ten, t- Big Ten did, and ultimately the SEC did, where they have their own network um, mm-hmm. and they share revenue equally. Uh, right. So the that bodes well for the the creation of a Big Twelve network. Mm-hmm. Yep, I think the 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 next step in the process, though, is for, you know, like we talked about, like a Kansas or uh, Oklahoma State or one of these other, you know, programs that are left in the Big 12 to suddenly announce that they're planning on going to X conference because they've been talking in the background. And while this new Big 12 
will help them retain their contract with ESPN, like you say, you know, and get maybe a Big 12 network going and things like that. But the overall pie without like one of those marquee teams um, may still leave them making less than if they were to join, you know, the Big Ten or the ACC or SEC or what have you. So a- absolutely true. You know, yeah. If if Kansas, for example, as an AAU uh, team, AAU school can get enticed into an invitation to the Big Ten, guarantee you the administration of that university would jump at that opportunity and say yes immediately. Okay, and there's probably some that the Pac-12 might have their eye on, right? So, so I could see you know the Big 12 being, uh, you know, uh, attacked a little bit for those last little remnants of of teams that might have some some panache, you know, uh, and so boom, they're gone now. And now your effort to bring those four new ones in kind of gets watered down and whatever, right? So it, it's still uh, untenable what they got going on there, I think. Right. Okay. So we'll keep an eye on that and see how that plays out here in the coming weeks. Uh, as for week one of college football, um, we didn't really preview any of these games uh, last week because we were just uh, kind of in the doldrums on the uh, Nebraska side of things with the Illinois game. But there actually were a lot of good games and some games that maybe one of thought would be competitive. Uh, there were you know some surprising upsets and different things. Um, one that won't be so happy for Nebraska fans is that uh, Illinois, the team that beat us in week zero, played against USTA and lost 37-30. Uh, so uh, we're already uh, our, our strength of schedule if we cared about that, which of course we don't, because you know we're we're not really uh, we're not competing for you know national recognition or a conference championship or anything like that. But uh, yeah, that was a bummer to see. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, but uh, somewhat predictable, right? Uh, all the circumstances we had uh, beat up Illinois pretty good in our game against them, uh, they had, uh, effectively lost, you know, four or five of their best players, uh, throughout the course of our game, including a long-term implication of losing their quarterback. Right. So that obviously had an impact on, uh, what Illinois had going into this next week's game. And then you got to deal with the, uh, you know, the high of, of them winning their opener, uh, and their first game of their new coach, and their team, you know, maybe didn't take uh, the same focus into the following week as they had previously. Um, and then U- UT San Antonio, as it is, uh, is a team that actually pretty solid football team. Not great by any stretch. Certainly, Illinois should have beaten them, but they're not chopped liver either. They're a team that executes, you know, does their stuff correctly. And lo and behold, what did Illinois do against them that they didn't do against Nebraska? They turned the ball over. They made mistakes that they didn't make against Nebraska. And so that's the thing is it gets back to a fundamental uh, guide that every school who plays Nebraska has uh, the book on, which is if you're playing Nebraska, play hard, play clean, and let them self-destruct. And Nebraska will self-destruct for you, and you'll win the game effectively by default because Nebraska will just shoot themselves in the foot. Mm-hmm. And that has been the nature of the Scott Frost era over the course of now, you know, we're going into our fourth year. Yeah. Sad, but true. Sad, but true. 
Um, But the big game uh, to start things off was a game between uh, number three ranked Clemson and number five ranked Georgia. Um, So a big, big time matchup right to start things off. Um, But I think it didn't turn out the way that many people would have expected because not only did Georgia win, uh, but it was a very low scoring game of 10 to three. And even the one touchdown that Georgia did get was off of their defense, uh, getting a turnover pick six situation. Uh, so the both offenses struggled. Um, but uh, I watched the highlights of that game on YouTube and uh, Georgia's uh, defensive line really looked impressive. I think they had seven sacks on Clemson's quarterback. So uh, they're the real deal from the looks of it. Oh, I totally agree. Yeah. The, well, the athletes in general in that contest were impressive, but the defenses were both really, really impressive to watch. It's it is amazing, and I. But at the same time, I I think it, if anybody had said uh, asked you to predict that you know those two teams were going to play for a full sixty minute football game, and neither one of the offenses was going to score a touchdown, I think you'd have been hard pressed to find too many people that would have taken that bet, yeah. right? So that was pretty amazing and unique uh, in modern college football. Yeah, if, if if that was one of those like obscure bets you can make in Vegas, whoever yeah. did that made a lot of money. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was an interesting one. And then there was another game that was also um, quite low scoring in a defensive battle, and that was the uh, Wisconsin versus Penn State, which ended up being sixteen to ten, uh, Penn State winning over Wisconsin. I also watched the highlights for that. And frankly, if I was a Wisconsin fan, I'd be extremely frustrated that they lost that game uh, because they missed a field goal, uh, which obviously is very important in such a low scoring game. And then they also had a turnover um, while they were in the red zone. Uh, You know, so even if they didn't score a touchdown there, which they very well might have, they would have at least gotten a field goal. You know, they were close enough for that. Um, but they got no points because they got a turnover. So that right there would have put the game at 16-16, you know, going into overtime. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I watched a lot of that game, Alex, and I'm going to tell you that, that, you know, in the last few minutes of that game, uh, there were a couple of circumstances that played out uh, where, you know, Wisconsin had opportunities to win, not once but twice. Um, where they put themselves in a position where it's one more play and, and they probably win the damn thing. Um, and so they have to be really frustrated. They they also, if you look at the stats on that game, physically dominated that game in terms of total yardage and things of that nature. And if you look at where the yardage came from, you know they were the, they were dominating on the ground and doing some good things and had some good balance. And and um, uh, Penn State just flat out could not run against. Wisconsin. And so almost all their yardage was passing. I mean, it was one of those games that I guarantee you Wisconsin's coaching staff and players are looking at it and saying, we're the better team. We should have won that football game. Yeah. From from what I saw in the highlights, there was a lot of times where Penn state got a big pass play, you know, for 20 to 40 yards or whatever. Uh, But then it would end either with them uh, punting or, uh, trying to kick a field goal so it was like one of those things where wisconsin would give up a big pass play but then their defense would stiffen up and stop them from you know scoring further that's right i would agree scenario yeah um 
Yeah, so that was a good one. Um, and then uh, this one was interesting. Uh, Ohio State versus Minnesota uh, ended up being uh, 45-31. Um, so, and I... Basically, for all these games, I watch the highlights on YouTube, so that's what I'm going off of. But um, it looked like I, th- I believe Minnesota went up, was up early, and then Ohio yep. State kind of came back, you know, and and got a got a solid lead. But the fact that Ohio State's defense, you know, the team that was the second best in the country last year, uh, gave up 31 points to Minnesota, a team that they theoretically are very much more talented than uh, is a bit of a worrying sign for them, I think. Well, I would say there's some truth in that, but also that Minnesota is pretty good, right? That, that their offensive line, their defensive line, uh, they got some players, they got some maturity um, and, and they look the part, so to speak. Um, And the fact that Minnesota hung around too. I mean, even after Ohio state had, kind of turned the tables after some early, you know, um, issues for Ohio state and, uh, Minnesota actually having the leave lead a little early, uh, then even after Ohio state kind of took control, Minnesota just kept knocking on the door, kept kind of hanging in there, not super close, but close enough. Right. But then they lost, uh, Minnesota that is lost their premier running back, to an injury as it's turned out he's now announced that it's it's a season in ending injury for him uh which is kind of disappointing for him and for the minnesota program but but i mean as long as they were having him uh run that football you know things were at least hanging in there they were hanging in there uh, but then eventually they just couldn't couldn't do it yeah um i may be wrong on this um but I know Michigan played against Western Michigan and they dominated in that victory. Um, but didn't they lose one of like their star players as well? They did. They lost a wide receiver, Bell, who was really highly regarded and and played really good in that game even. Um, and so that's going to be a huge loss for Michigan Wolverines as well. Yeah. And a, a kind of similar game to that one in terms of the, you know, a, a national championship caliber team playing a lesser opponent was Oklahoma Tulane, uh, where Oklahoma won, uh, but it was 40 35. And from watching the highlights, um, Tulane, uh, basically, uh, Oklahoma turned the ball over immediately. Tulane scored off of that. So Tulane went up early. Then Oklahoma came back and was up by like 21 points or something like that. But then Tulane kind of managed to get it back. And then they got, kicked an onside kick and actually got it. So they were down by five with like a few minutes left in the game. And they had a chance to win the whole thing. Uh, they couldn't they couldn't pull it through. But uh, but that, would, that, that must have been a shock to the, the Sooner Nation out there. Absolutely. I, I don't think they were expecting that. But that's also kind of typical what happens in first games, some weird shit like this happens, but the key is a team like Oklahoma. They were able to find a way right on a day when they did not play their best football. They found a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I hope they gave the MVP to their uh, field goal kicker. Uh, he did miss one field goal from what I saw, but he made a 56 yarder, a 55 yarder and a 51 yarder, I believe, which is wow. crazy. That is yeah, so they that's, that's a, a heck of a day. Yeah, so that's that's quite a weapon they've got there on the special teams. 
Um, and maybe one of the most exciting games of week one was uh, Florida State versus number nine ranked Notre Dame. Uh, ended up going to overtime with Notre Dame winning 41-38. And something that a lot of people have been talking about is that uh, Florida State's first team quarterback got hurt in the fourth quarter when they were down. And uh, Mackenzie Milk. Milton, the quarter, former quarterback of UCF, who, as you may recall, back in 2018, had a brutal injury that, you know, it was amazing they could even walk after it, let alone play football again. And so he was the second team quarterback. Sure enough, he came out there, uh, got a touchdown for him, managed to tie up the game. Uh, they weren't able to uh, win it, unfortunately. They missed their field goal in overtime. Um, but uh, that's an exciting story that I've seen a lot of chatter about online. Well, here's the thing with that game, uh, Alex, is that um, it was crazy at the end. It was a bizarre set of circumstances. If you didn't watch it, you may not know this, but but um, so they uh, Florida State, uh, or excuse me, Notre Dame was comfortably in the lead had dominated the game in many respects, but Florida State's defense had been just good enough to kind of keep them hanging around, hanging around, hanging around. Then the whole transition, because the uh, starting quarterback for Florida State had thrown three picks. And so they replaced them with uh, Milton. Milton came in, drove them down, scored a touchdown, and they got to within three, I think, at that point. Um, And then Milton got got them down, drove them down. It looked like Milton was going to take them down and they were going to win. We're going to score a touchdown and win the thing in regulation. But then a, a, a circumstance happened where Milton had to uh, uh, make a decision. He had, they got a bad snap. You know, we Nebraska fans are very sensitive to the whole snapping thing with our recent history with a bad center snap, right? But that happened to uh, Florida State, and Milton was able to grab the ball and get rid of it and basically salvage that moment, right? Uh, so that uh, uh, somebody could come in and kick a field goal, which uh, instead of losing all those yards, uh, he was able to just throw it out of bounds, um, and it became an incomplete pass. Um, mm-hmm. Kick the field goal, tie the game, okay? They go into overtime, and again, they're doing okay. They're, they're, they're moving the football, whatever, uh, on the, in the overtime period, uh, but then um, Milton, uh, they're not able to get it done, uh, Notre Dame has a good play, and they find themselves in a, um, um, I guess it would have been third third down situation, and Milton goes to throw the football, and frankly, he uh, he fumbles the ball. He throw he's going to throw it, but then the the players are so close to him, right, you know, about ready to attack him, that uh, he tries to pull it back in, but it it releases from his hand, and it and it's a fumble. But and that's the way it's defined initially by the uh, uh, by the referees. Uh, but then they review it and determine that it is, um, in fact, not a fumble, but a pass, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was just incomplete. Um, now the irony of this whole deal is that um, what happened to cause that review to be re-reviewed was a, was a timeout called by Florida state's coaches. Well, before that timeout, uh, he called it right at the last minute when his own kicker. So he, he almost like iced his own kicker <laughs> and the kicker kicked it and made it. Oh, but then no. after all, all the, all the reviews and everything, they got moved. The, the kick, the, the ball got moved forward. Cause now they was no longer, um, 
viewed as a fumble, but was viewed as an incomplete pass. So that actually made it closer, uh, an easier, quote, quote, easier field goal. But then in the second kick, he missed it. Okay. See, I had seen everything else you had mentioned. I saw those highlights, but the, the whole, the fact that it got reviewed and that he kicked it and da, 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 yeah, all that I didn't know. Yeah. You didn't see that. So it was just a crazy set of circumstances where frankly, Florida state, very much could have taken the lead in that at that moment. Not necessarily one, because then they would have still had to stop, um, um, you know, Dame. North uh, Notre Dame, and Notre Dame would have done things differently, maybe than they chose to do, because all they then needed to do was kick a field goal, which they did, and they won it. So, uh, but but uh, fascinating game all the, all together. And frankly, Notre Dame was the better team of the two on that night for the most part. But it certainly says something about Florida State's defense. And I think Florida State will be pretty good if Milton ends up being their quarterback from here on out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that would definitely be interesting to see how that plays out down the line here. Um, and uh, this was an interesting one as well. Uh, number 20, Washington, played against Montana. And another, yeah. another, yeah. <laughs> another low-scoring game, and Montana won 13-7 to over Washington. Yeah. Yes, and Montana is, a, is an FCS school. Mm-hmm. Not FBS, right? So they're like uh, they're like the game we played against uh, Fordham, right? Uh, that kind of a deal. And Torrey, the kid that had that great game for us mm-hmm. from Montana, he was an All American at the FCS level uh, last year for them. So that was his old team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I did watch the highlights for this one too. I'm having trouble. Uh, remembering the details, but it was, from what I recall, it was a pretty ugly game, uh, kind yeah. of on, on both sides. You know, the offenses were kind of struggling, but, um, you know, the fact that Washington couldn't get more offense, like you say, against an FCS team, um, and then the fact that they have to play Michigan uh, this upcoming weekend uh, doesn't bode well for the start of their season. No, that's true, and I believe that game is play is going to be played at Michigan too, if I remember correctly. It is at Michigan Stadium, so yeah, all of a sudden that's going to become a really uh, winnable game for Michigan. I think that's a game that a lot of Michigan fans were looking at and saying, "Ah, oh, that's probably going to be a loss for us," given Nebraska or uh, Washington's success last year. But now you look at it and you say, "Wait a minute, that's a game we were going to win that game." Yep. Oh, and here's another one I almost forgot. Um, UCLA beat LSU 38-27. Yeah. Yes. Um, which is kind of nice to see, you know, the the Pac-12 um, has kind of been down in recent years. Um, so I was kind of happy to see them uh, beat a uh, SEC team in Pasadena here in local Los Angeles. Um, and, yeah, that was uh, another game where LSU just couldn't, stop them you know they were getting a lot of big big uh passing plays and stuff uh on lsu's defense yes well this is a year that's going to be really critical for chip kelly out there in uh, ucla and it's looking like uh, he's got the page turned a little bit and his guys are are executing what he wants them to do it's what we had hoped we would see with nebraska and scott frost because they're similarly in their fourth year but we haven't seen that kind of page turn yet for us. Yes, unfortunately. Um, 
and I didn't watch this game, but uh, this is of interest to us as Nebraska fans in the Big Ten. Uh, Michigan State beat Northwestern at 38-21. And this is kind of a year where we kind of thought Michigan State was in a rebuilding year of sorts. Um, but uh, they managed to beat a pretty solid Northwestern team. Yes, and, and I think that bodes well for Michigan State's program and for this new uh, coach that they have. That is going to be his second year. And he's uh, he's got his uh, team going in the right direction. That's going to make that team uh, or that game that again that Nebraska plays against Michigan State here in a few weeks much more difficult. Mm-hmm. For sure. And um, looking ahead to Week Two, um, we've got a couple of big games, not as many as Week One, um, but there's the Iowa Iowa State. Uh, rivalry game, uh, Utah BYU, Stanford USC. Uh, kind of interesting to see that so early in the season. Uh, Washington Michigan, which we mentioned, and then the big game uh, in terms of national recognition is Ohio State playing against Oregon. So after uh, kind of struggling a little bit against Minnesota, now they need to play against Oregon, who has been you know uh, not as good in recent years, but obviously still a very offensively potent team. Um, what is, uh, specifically on the Oregon OSU game, uh, what's your kind of feelings on that one? Well, Oregon was probably the best pack, uh, 12 team last year, but then ended up losing in the conference championship game, right? Uh, they were the better team record wise and seemed to have the better, uh, you know, uh, if you will, and they've recruited extremely well. And that their, their coach is, you know, highly regarded Cristobal. And uh, and so that's all kind of coming together for him. So they went into the season with high expectations, Oregon did. And and Ohio State, as you said, uh, probably underwhelmed a little bit with their first uh, uh, game performance. So that's going to be a very interesting game to see. It's one I would expect Ohio State to rise to the occasion and really, uh, you know, play well. Uh, uh, but Oregon's a team that has the kind of talent and on a, on a player by player basis to match up with a, an awful lot of what Ohio state can offer. And again, Ohio state's a breaking in a brand new quarterback. So there's some question marks there. If I remember correctly, is that, that's a game that's being played out at Oregon too, isn't it? Uh, no, actually I just double checked that it is at yeah. Ohio state. Um, okay, that that helps Ohio State a ton then. Yes, and actually Oregon in their first game they played against Fresno State and they won, uh, but it was thirty-one twenty-four only by one mm-hmm. touchdown. So. And I feel like they they also had they also lost a significant player mm. uh, to an injury. You know that's long. It's going to be uh, gone for a few weeks. Particularly, definitely not going to play this week. But uh, you know was in a boot and everything uh, at the towards the end of the game. Uh, and will have an impact on, you know, their uh, availability for, for this game against Ohio State. So, um, uh, but if it's back at the shoe, uh, I think Ohio State's chances are quite good. Yeah, I would agree with you there. Um, so the last game we'll mention here, and this will transition nicely into our game, which would of course be uh, Buffalo, the team that Nebraska is playing against this upcoming weekend. They played against Wagner, uh, who I've never heard of before, uh, but they crushed them 69 to 7. Now, once again, kind of like with our game against Fordham, you know, hard to take too much away from that because clearly they're playing a, a not as good opponent. But uh, to put up 70 yards uh, shows you that that quarterback. 70 points, yeah. 
Right. I'm sorry. Yeah. 69 points. Uh, goes to show you that that quarterback's got uh, got an arm that's legit. Absolutely. And this is a team and a coach. Uh, he's a new coach, but he's a highly regarded coach. Um, a very good recruiter, et cetera, et cetera. And they have some talent. I mean, they lost some talent from their Buffalo team from a year ago that was very, very good. Remember, this is a Buffalo team that won the MAC last year and was, you know, in the thick of of, of the top ten, top fifteen ish type discussion because they had had such a good season. And they, but they lost some players from that team, but they still have quite a few back too. And now they've got that winning culture in place. And trust me, they're they're going to come into Lincoln thinking they're going to win, and and rightfully so. I I think probably at least half, if no, if not more than half of the of the pundits as we approach the end of this week are probably going to be picking uh, Buffalo as their upset special. Uh, we're going to be the favorite probably by 10 points or more. Uh, but, uh, I don't know that we should be. Um, I, I don't feel that way. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's hard to feel. I mean, we, we weren't, we weren't sure going into this Fordham game. We were like, well, we're going to win, but you know, they might score, 20 30 points on us you know thankfully right it didn't turn out that way but i believe i saw some news headline that i think we are like double digit favorites against them and the odds making right but uh i just think it's going to be super super important that nebraska uh, take care of business early with this team if we let these guys hang around like we did for them and we take our time getting our shit together that's going to be a a, a a formula for disaster for Nebraska. Yep. I just checked. It's 11 and a half points. So that's okay. the spread on this one. And I agree with you. Um, and I think, you know, there's a possibility that if we had beat Illinois soundly and beat Fordham like we did, then maybe the guys would be a little bit, you know, on focus going to this Buffalo game. But after losing to Illinois, I think there's no chance of that. They're well aware that, you know, all the teams left on our schedule can beat us, you know, at this point. Um, and it is in Lincoln, um, which will help us out. Um, so we got to, you know, have, have, a, have a good uh, Husker crowd there helping us out on those critical third down plays and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I, I, my kind of feeling going into it is that I think we will win, but I think it's going to be close. I could see it being like a three, four point game. Wow. Okay. So um, I'm not as optimi- optimistic as you. I'm going to tell you right now, my prediction for the game is that Nebraska is going to lose. All right. A little bit of this is good to have a little bit of a difference of opinion here. Yeah. Um, well, what is your uh, reasoning and what is your score? Okay. So my reasoning is, is that I, I think that N- Nebraska defensively seems to be pretty solid. Uh, but this, uh, this Buffalo team has, has already demonstrated itself to be executing at a fairly high level. Now, granted, there's a difference between Wagner and, you know, what, what they're likely to face against Nebraska in terms of the athletes that are going to be on the other side of the ball from them. But, but that means that this is a team that has confidence, that's executing, and is doing things the way that their coaching staff has been teaching and coaching them to do it, right? And that kind of confidence can, can uh, be very valuable to you, right? Uh, when you're facing somebody that's maybe supposed to be physically better than you, and then you execute, and all of a sudden good things happen for you, and you're like, hey, I deserve to be here. We deserve to be here. We can do this. 
I think that's going to happen in this game because I feel like Nebraska is a team that, again, I've used the term many times over these, year, these recent years, we are a China doll. We are so freaking fragile, it ain't funny. And, and unless Adrian and the offense have immediate success and somehow Buffalo gives, gifts us a mistake, a fumbled punt, uh, our defense is able to come up with a, a, a scoop and score or an interception return for touchdown where we get free points early in the game that, that, that lends itself to us starting to control the game. Uh, I believe that Buffalo will have success. And once they have success, I think Nebraska tightens up and bad things begin to happen every time because Adrian's not a winner. He's not shown himself to be a winner. And, uh, and so then our offense will clam, clam, clam up and not do well. So there you go. I'm going to say uh, they're going to end up scoring. Um, uh, I'm going to say 35 to 21. Okay. Buffalo. Gotcha. So 35-21. Okay. Um, for me, I am choosing to be optimistic. You know, as, I, and I love you for that, son. Good job. <laughs> as as we always try to be here as Nebraska fans, and I, what basically what I'm hoping here is that of uh, that we are going to have a tough time against this Buffalo team. That they are talented, uh, but that those reps that we got in this Fordham game, you know, I was a little worried, especially early on. You know that we were struggling, we were making some mistakes. You know, and that this was going to be, uh, oh, is this going to become like a dogfight, you know, where our our inability to get things going on offense is going to let Fordham stay in this way longer than it should. Um, and it didn't. You know, we we got things together. We got a big lead on them in the second quarter, you know, continued that into the third. Um, and we saw, you know, the talent that is there on our team was evident on the field against Fordham. Now, the question is. Will that talent be able to express itself in a similar way against a much better team like Buffalo? And uh, I am basically betting on the fact that uh, this confidence that we got from the Fordham game will carry over into this Buffalo game. Uh, I think it will be high scoring because clearly they've got a lot of offensive weapons. But my uh, what I'm praying for here is that uh, – Adrian is going to be more accurate and going to make better decisions with a little bit more confidence behind himself and that we will manage to outscore them. So I'm going to predict uh, 35-31, Nebraska wins. Okay, 35-31. So lots of scoring on both sides. Yes. And I'm sorry, did you say 21 or 28? I said 21. Okay, that's what I have. Yep. 35-21. Okay. And then for that uh, Ohio State-Oregon game, we'll go ahead and give a prediction for that. Um, after uh, reminding myself that Oregon had uh, won against Fresno State by a small margin, that makes me more confident that it is going to be an Ohio State victory, as well as the fact that it's happening at Ohio State, uh, even though they did struggle against Minnesota. Um, you know, obviously Ohio State is crazy talented is still coming off of that national championship game last year. Um, so I think Oregon will make it interesting in maybe the first half into the third quarter, but Ohio state will pull away late and end up winning. Uh, so I'll go ahead and say that, uh, Ohio state wins, uh, 41 to, uh, Oregon gets, uh, 30 or, 
31. Yeah, 4131. Let's go with that. 31. Okay. I'm going to say it's 49 to 21 Ohio State and I think Ohio State wins it comfortably. All right. What what you think just the home game plus Oregon's uh historic lack of a good defense are your main two reasons? Well, I, I I think yeah, I think that uh Oregon's games and defense are not going to uh necessarily uh match up well with Ohio State's talent and uh Ohio State's defense. I think Ohio State's defense is gonna uh is going to really put the clamps on Oregon's offense. Uh and so unless Ohio State makes a bunch of mistakes, which they're far less likely to do at home. Um, that would be the one caveat that would cause this to become a, a close game. But I think if 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 Ohio State plays reasonably clean, uh, that they will get to a point where they're in physical dominant control and they just kind of finish it out. So um, I think it ends up being a comfortable victory for Ohio State. All right. Sounds good. So uh, we will be looking forward to this Buffalo game. You know, I, uh, I know we said that Illinois game was the most important game of the season, and maybe it was. But uh, now I think this Buffalo game takes on oh, extreme yeah. importance. Absolutely. Now every game becomes the most important game because <laughs> we've now put ourselves so far behind the eight ball because we gave up a game that was a game we should have, quote, quote, should have won. And we weren't able to get the job done. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, yeah. well but this Buffalo team, it frustrates me because I, I initially thought, oh, this Buffalo team, they lost all these players. They lost their coach, blah, 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 blah. But then they go off and they win like they did against Wagner. And I don't care if you're playing against air. If you can score 69 points, that means your offense is doing something right. And in all likelihood, your defense gave your offense some opportunities, right? So, I mean, that's a good way to start a season. And then I start hearing more and reading more about this coach. and man, he is highly regarded. He sounds like a guy that probably not going to be at Buffalo for more than a, just a few years, just like the guy before him is going to continue the success that has already been established and, and both in recruiting and in, and in on the field performance. And then he's going to end up getting some bigger job. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think, um, uh, this game takes on particular importance because uh, the following week we play against Oklahoma, uh, which yeah. we can be uh, very sure is going to be a loss for us, most likely. Um, so, you know, but if we're able to go into the Oklahoma game two and one, two and one. you know, yeah. and coming off of a, a victory against a solid Buffalo team, you know, I think that will give us some, uh, you know, confidence and momentum even after okay well we all knew that we were probably gonna lose oklahoma so that gives us something to build off of for the following weeks whereas if we lose to buffalo and we lose to oklahoma now we're one and three and yeah. our only now the wheels come off yeah now they are only success against uh you know much lesser fordham team um so that's why i think this buffalo game is so critical i totally agree with you i think it is very very critical and i and i hope you are right and i am wrong but everything is telling me this is a team, again, that has the, the psyche of a China um, doll, and it's going to fall apart. All right. Uh, because, because we have a leader who has demonstrated over and over again their, their inability to handle that. 
and that's that's Adrian. I mean, I, I mean, I love the guy. He he means well in so much of what he does, but there's just an element of him that freezes up, slows down his his thinking processes, and freezes him to make the absolute worst decision at the worst time uh, for us. And unless he can just relax and just let his athleticism do what it does best, and then he's fine. But inevitably, we have to wait until we're out of a game before he finally relaxes, and then he starts looking better. <laughs> right. it's, it's crazy. Yeah, funny so. how that works. All right, well, we will be back next week to talk about that uh, Buffalo game as well as what's happened in the national world of college football. Uh, so thank you all out there for listening to us. You can reach out to us at huskerpeat13 at gmail.com. Uh, leave us a question. We may read it out on the air. You know, we always love hearing from the fans. Uh, you can also find us on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud and let us know uh, what you think of the podcast there. Maybe leave a rating or a review. So thank you all out there for listening, and thank you, Jad, for joining me for this podcast. And until next week, go Big Red. Go Big Red. <laughs>